I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast. This is the third part on the First World War. It is entitled The Red Sultan and the Young Turks Revolution. Today I will be looking at the Ottoman Empire at the end of the 19th century and the first years of the 20th century. On the 23rd of July, 1908, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Abdul Hamid II, convened his cabinet in the Yildiz Palace, perched on a hill overlooking the Bosporus Straits on the European side of Constantinople. Aged 65, he faced the greatest crisis of his reign of so far over 30 years. The Ottoman army in Macedonia, a volatile Balkan region, far larger than the modern state of that name, straddling the modern states of Greece, Bulgaria and Macedonia, had risen in rebellion, demanding the restoration of the constitution and a return to parliamentary rule. One of the first measures taken by Abdul Hamid after acceding to the throne had been to promulgate the empire's first constitution, the culmination of four decades of government-led reforms known as the Tanzimat. This had made him appear as an enlightened reformer, but in truth he agreed to do so not out of conviction, but because he felt it necessary to secure his position. Over the years, the experience of ruling the Ottoman Empire hardened the Sultan, and he began to turn to absolutism. The empire he inherited in 1876 was in disarray. The Treasury had declared itself bankrupt, and its European creditors were quick to impose economic sanctions. The Ottomans faced growing hostilities from European opinion for violent suppression of Bulgarian separatists, and Russia threatened war. Powerful cabinet ministers pressed the new sultan to introduce a liberal constitution and an elected parliament with Muslim, Christian and Jewish members as a means to prevent further European intervention in domestic affairs. Abdul Hamid conceded to the demands for reform, but it was not enough to prevent an invasion by the Russian army in the Russo-Ottoman War of 1877-1878. to 
In the aftermath of the war, in the Treaty of Berlin, the Ottomans lost territory to the Russians and Bulgarians and were forced to concede the independence of Serbia, Romania and Montenegro. Citing disagreements with the Parliament, the Sultan suspended both the Constitution and the Parliament. Soon after, in 1881, the Ottomans lost further land when France occupied Tunisia. Then, in the next year, 1882, Britain intervened in Egypt to put down a revolt which had threatened to end British and French influence in the country. The British could not risk the security of the Suez Canal between the Mediterranean and Red Seas, which they needed to maintain close contact with India. The British agreed to withdraw as soon as a dependable local government was established, but none proved to be acceptable, and so over time British administrators took on more and more of the government of Egypt, and effectively placed it under colonial rule. Sultan Abdul Hamid responded to the series of crises by centralising power as much as possible in his own person. He interested himself closely in the government of his empire, and engaged in detail and often heated debates with his grand viziers, whom he regularly replaced so that none would become too powerful. He feared a policy of decentralisation would encourage Balkan and other provinces to secede from the empire. Lord Kinross, in his book Ottoman Centuries, describes Abdul Hamid as quote, pale, silent and melancholy, with a sinister and scrutinising look that belied his polite manners. He scented danger on every side and suspected all those around him. He surrounded himself with an army of spies, secret police and unofficial informers who provided him with daily reports, end quote. He chose to live and to rule within the high, insurmountable walls of the park in the Yildiz Palace, on the slopes above the Bosporus. He demolished a number of houses and created a haphazard complex of pavilions to serve as a new centre of power. One of the ethnic groups suspected of a nationalist agenda were the Armenians. They had their own distinct language and Christian liturgy, and centuries of communal organisation under the Ottomans. They had all the prerequisites of a nationalist movement except one. They were not concentrated in one geographic area. They were dispersed between the Russian and Ottoman Empire and within Ottoman domains across eastern Anatolia, the Mediterranean coastal regions and the main trading cities of the empire. The largest concentration of Armenians resided in the capital, Constantinople. The Armenians first made a territorial claim at the 1878 Congress of Berlin. As part of the settlement of the Russo-Turkish War, the Ottomans were forced to cede to Russia three provinces with sizeable Armenian populations, so the Armenian delegation sought an autonomous region for themselves. The European powers responded by requiring the Ottoman government to implement immediately such quote, improvements and reforms demanded by local requirements in the provinces inhabited by Armenians, end quote, and to provide them with security from attack by the Muslim majority. European support for Christian nationalist movements had made the Ottomans understandably wary of foreign intentions in their strategic domains. 
Consequently, Abdul Hamid's government did everything it could to suppress the nascent Armenian movement, responding against activists with a full range of repressive actions, surveillance, arrest, imprisonment and exile. Two very different pro-Armenian movements established themselves. The Hunchaks, founded in Geneva, favoured socialism and national liberation, while the Dashnaks promoted self-defence among Armenian communities and were more anti-Russian. Both groups espoused violence to achieve their political aims and were not averse to provoking Muslim reprisals as a way of attracting foreign attention. In the year 1891, concerned about Russian designs in the remote eastern Anatolian provinces, Abdul Hamid raised irregular cavalry regiments among the Kurds to police the region. The volatile situation inevitably led to bloodshed and the crisis made international headlines in 1894 when an uprising occurred in the town of Sassoon near Van when Kurdish nomads attacked Armenian villagers for refusing to make the traditional protection payments on top of their tax payments to Ottoman officials. This led to the massacre of hundreds, possibly thousands of civilians, and this prompted Britain, France and Russia to intervene with proposals of administrative reform. Frustrated by a lack of progress, the Armenians organised a march in Constantinople to petition for reforms, including the appointment of a Christian governor and the right of Armenians to bear arms to protect themselves against their well-armed Kurdish neighbours. As the protesters were pushed back, a policeman was killed, setting off a riot in which a hostile Muslim mob turned on the Armenians. The European powers protested at the killing of demonstrators, compelling Sultan Abdul Hamid to issue a decree promising reforms in the eastern provinces. The decree heightened the fears of Ottoman Muslims, who were fearful of Armenian independence and either living under a Christian authority or to abandon their homes and villages and resettle in Muslim lands, as thousands of Muslims from Crimea, the Caucasus and the Balkans had done when the Ottomans relinquished lands there to Christian rule. A new and far more lethal way of violence, unprecedented in Ottoman history, swept across eastern Anatolia, during which the names of the towns of Hardaput and Zaytun, to cite only the best known, would long be remembered as sites of intercommunal massacres. The exact death toll is not clear. Eugene Rogan, in the book The Fall of the Ottomans, quotes one estimate of more than 37,000 Armenians killed and 300,000 left homeless, and another source estimating between 100,000 and 300,000 dead and wounded. British public opinion was outraged and branded the Sultan as Abdul the Great Assassin, while the French gave him the nickname of the Bloody or the Red Sultan. However, the European powers were divided on the question of the Armenian atrocities and forced no change on the Ottoman Empire. And so the bloody events of 1894-96 turned out to be a catastrophe for the Armenian people. Over the following years, the Armenian movement changed tactics and tried to work with the Liberals to seek reform of the Ottoman Empire. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. In spite of his reactionary tendencies, Sultan Abdul Hamid oversaw a growth in the Ottoman economy. Railways, telegraphs and paved roads were beginning to unite the empire, improving communications and encouraging internal trade. Sean McMeekin, in his book The Ottoman Endgame, writes how the empire still ran a large trade deficit with Europe in manufactured goods, although exports of foodstuffs Cotton, silk, carpets and glass, as well as some strategic metals, were booming. The Sultan quietly supported the expansion of European-style education, establishing a number of professional colleges and hundreds of new state schools, along with new public libraries, serving an increasingly literate urban population. Economic development, however, was failing to calm tensions in the Balkans, where the various peoples were ready to fight for their nation's perceived rights or to exact revenge for historic wrongs. The next flashpoint was Macedonia, a region which was part of the Ottoman Empire, hemmed in by newly created states, Greece to the south, Serbia and Bulgaria to the north. It was a microcosm of the Balkan ethnic cauldron, with Bulgarians, Greeks, Serbs, Macedonian Slavs, and Turks, as well as a large Jewish population, centred in the port city of Salonika, today known as Thessaloniki. There were also minorities of Albanians, both Muslim and Christians, and also Romanians. The peasantry were predominantly Orthodox, and mostly Slavs, and the coastal towns mostly Greek-speaking. With no single ethnic group prevailing, the region became the focus of the expansionist policies of its neighbours. The Greeks and Bulgarians competed for the loyalties of the peasantry. Both sides founded schools to propagate their national ideals, established churches, produced maps and ethnographies to justify their claims, and financed armed bands of patriots. A Macedonian revolutionary organisation known as IMRO, I-M-R-O, or the International Macedonian Revolutionary Organisation, was formed in Salonika, with the object to establish a Macedonian state in the wedge of land across the southern Balkans from Albania to Thrace, comprising the Ottoman provinces of Kosovo, Monastia and Salonika. A separate rival committee in Sofia called for its annexation by Bulgaria and in 1895 had begun to launch large-scale raids into Macedonia. 
bands of Bulgarian bandits roamed the mountains, attacking Turkish villages and, in their turn, attacked by Greek bandits. As the violence degenerated into simple criminality, agents of Imro repeatedly attacked and killed Ottoman officials and confiscated their funds. The province became plagued by periodic assaults on mosques and churches, politically motivated train and postal carriage hold-ups and ransomed kidnappings. In the year 1903, revolutionaries took over a number of villages on the border with Bulgaria, killing in the process more than 500 Turkish troops. As the Ottoman Empire poured in reinforcements, terrorist murders and bomb attacks spread until they merged into a general uprising, which was eventually put down by Ottoman troops. They burned 119 villages to the ground, raised 8,400 houses and drove 50,000 refugees into the mountains. They succeeded in crushing the revolutionary movement, but seriously alienated international opinion. The Austrians and Russians worked together to send in an international police force, which was reluctantly accepted by the Sultan. The political turbulence and violence throughout most of his empire persuaded Abdul Hamid II that he must rule with an iron fist to protect it from descending into complete chaos and preserving it from further dismemberment by ambitious European powers. His autocratic style, however, gave rise to an increasingly well-organised opposition movement. The Young Turks were a disparate coalition of parties, ranging from reform-minded civilians to progressive junior army officers, bound by the common goals of constraining the Sultan's absolutism, restoring constitutional rule and returning to parliamentary democracy. They were started in 1889 by students in a military medical college in Constantinople and over time developed from an intellectual to a political endeavour. Among the most prominent parties under the Young Turk umbrella was the Committee of Union and Progress, or CUP, a secret society of civilians and military men. Members were of all ethnic and religious backgrounds and soon had branches across the empire and in Europe. Sultan Abdul Hamid was successful in suppressing the activities of the CUP in the Turkish and Arabic provinces, and by 1908 its centre of operations lay in the surviving Ottoman possessions in the Balkans, in Albania, Thrace and Macedonia. In 1908, spies working for the Sultan uncovered a CUP cell in the Ottoman Third Army in Macedonia. At the same time, King Edward VII of England was meeting with Tsar Nicholas of Russia in the city of Tallinn. Fearing that the great powers were planning on carving up Macedonia between themselves, and also fearful of imminent arrest by Turkish authorities, the young Turks decided to go on the offensive. 200 well-armed soldiers and their civilian supporters rose in revolt, demanding that the Sultan restore the 1876 constitution. The rebels quickly captured the public's mood and their movement gained momentum as it drew increasing support from the population at large. Whole cities in Macedonia rose in rebellion and declared their support for the constitution. A young Turkish officer named Major Ismail Enver 
proclaimed the constitution to popular acclaim and the Ottoman Third Army threatened to march on Constantinople. Three weeks on, the revolutionary movement had grown so large that the Sultan could no longer count on the support of his military to contain the uprising in Macedonia. This was the emergency which drove the Sultan to convene his cabinet in the Palace of Yildiz on the 23rd of July. After many hours of discussion, Abdul Hamid, in order to regain control of the situation, made the unexpected and bold decision to agree to restore the constitution. He recalled Parliament and issued decrees abolishing the secret police, removing press censorship and proclaiming amnesty for political prisoners. The Young Turk revolution had succeeded, it seems without a shot being fired, its aim endorsed by none other than the Sultan. The Red Sultan, by stealing the revolutionary thunder, had saved his throne. The period between the July Revolution and elections that autumn was a time of great expectations for Ottoman reformers, liberals and minorities. Major Enver rode the train to Salonika, where jubilant crowds greeted him as the champion of freedom. Over the following days, red and white banners were displayed on city streets with the revolutionary slogan, Justice, Equality and Fraternity. The joyful celebrations were marred by acts of retaliation against those suspected of taking part in Abdul Hamid's repressive state surveillance. They were dampened further by news that the empire's neighbours had seized on the instability created by the revolution to annex yet more of Ottoman territory. On the 5th of October, the Bulgarians declared their independence and Prince Ferdinand proclaimed himself Tsar of Bulgaria. The next day, the Austrians announced their annexation of Bosnia, an Ottoman province they were already administrating. And not to be outdone, the inhabitants of the island of Crete declared union with mainland Greece. In the election of November and early December 1908, the CUP won a majority in the lower house, co-opting many independents into their ranks. However, they soon came to face serious opposition. The religious establishment in particular were critical of what they saw as the secular culture of the Young Turks. On the night of the 12th to 13th of April, the enemies of the CUP mounted a counter-revolution. Soldiers loyal to Abdul Hamid II mutinied against their officers and made common cause with religious scholars. Together they marched on the parliament in a noisy demonstration and demanded a new cabinet, banishment of a number of CUP politicians and the restoration of Islamic law. Fearing for their lives, the young Turk deputies fled the capital and the Sultan conceded to the demands of the mob, reasserting his control over the political situation. The counter-revolution, however, proved short-lived. Young Turks in Macedonia mobilised a campaign force called the Action Army to march on Constantinople. This quickly occupied the capital, suppressed the revolt and imposed martial law. The parliament reconvened and voted to depose Sultan Abdul Hamid II and to install his younger brother, the Sultan Mehmet V. The life of the deposed Sultan was spared. He was conveyed at night to the city's railway station and then to Salonika, where he was interned. 
his reactionary role had proved incompatible with the trend of liberal progress, which, for all its setbacks and shortcomings, has slowly taken root in his empire. You've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. If you like the show and would like to support it, please go to patreon.com stroke history Europe. Thank you for all your support. Another great way of helping is by giving a, a good review on iTunes or wherever you found the podcast. I hope you can join me next time when we'll be talking about the Austrian annexation of Bosnia in 1908. Until then, all the best and goodbye. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.